2: Microphones are hot. Check, check,
0: check. You ready to go? I'm ready. Mm. Locked and cocked and ready to rock, sir. All stretched out. Hey, you know who gets to do fun drills and say cool phrases like that? Uh, uh, fine folks in the military. Absolutely. And we owe them a big shout out for another great weekend of fun here in the basement because we were protected by our U.S. military on behalf of the men and women of Navy Federal Credit Union and the women and men who make this podcast down here in Mom's Basement. Got to do a big shout out to the men and women of our military. Let's all go stack some Benjamins together, shall we? Let's
3: do it. You did it. Congratulations. World's best cup of
4: coffee. Great job, everybody. It's great to meet you. Bye.
1: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and did you know wealth building can be easy, cool, and fun? We got the easy and fun part down, but we'll never be cool if Joe doesn't stop wearing those capris. Here, today we're mixing it up and sharing lessons from their upcoming book, Stacked. We welcome Emily Guy Birkin and our host, Joe Saul Sehai. Before that, during our headline segment, young millionaires are saying goodbye to traditional advisors. And during the TikTok minute, we'll see why some men can't be home during girls' night for the same reason I'm not allowed upstairs anymore. Just another day here at Stackin' and Benjamins. And now, two guys who put the F-U in fun. It's Joe and
0: O-J-J-J-J-G. And a happy Monday to you, stackers. I'm Joe Salcija. I average show money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, it's my good friend, O-G. How are you, man?
3: Just uh, another beautiful day.
0: In paradise, just a fantastic weekend. We had a bowl game here in Texarkana. I know everybody was excited about the bowl game in mm-hmm. Texarkana, and we uh, we went. Sorry, I wasn't invited to that. I was looking forward to being invited. We tailgated, uh, which was fun, and I can't even remember the names of the teams. But go teams! So whoever <laughs> won, well earned. It was it was amazing. Uh, great weekend here in Texarkana. Probably a great weekend in Dallas too. I am assuming. Oh, it's always a great weekend in Dallas. I know you came down the stairs like all cheerful today. So I thought, man, something good happened. Cheerful. It's my
3: birthday month.
0: <laughs> every day of the month, I get. I feel like, like every a- day here's your birthday. Actually, it feels more like my birthday because you know what? We're we're actually doing something a little strange here. We're talking a lot about me today. Oh, gee, my new <sighs> shocking. <laughs> my new new book stack comes out with my co-author Emily Guy Birkin at the end of this month, of course, on the twenty eighth. And we're going to give you a little preview today. We did, uh, I've felt so lucky. We've done some great interviews uh, with a lot of people, but our sister show, Earn and Invest with Doc G, Doc interviewed Emily and I, and we're going to uh, play that interview here. It'll be our, our home team preview of the lessons from the book stacked. We're going to go through quite a few of the lessons from the book. We got a fantastic headline. That makes me frustrated. Later on, we're going to talk about an invitation we're going to give you also. uh, Stay tuned for this later to a partnership that I have with a trading academy. And I know there's a bunch of stackers going, Trading academy? What the hell? We'll get into that during our headline segment. And then later on, we'll talk about why. If you're trading curious, let's do it the right way, shall we? And I know some people, OG, we've talked about buy and hold for a long time, but you know (laughs) there are. It's a lot of people that are going to trade, whether we tell you, you probably shouldn't or not. And if you're yeah, going to- you might as
3: well do it right if you're going to do it. Absolutely.
0: If you're going to do it, let's do it with somebody that knows what they're doing. And we've teamed up with a fantastic trading academy. We're going to do a webinar next week. More on that later, but a great show. Headlines, TikTok, OG's here. Doug's got some fantastic trivia. But first, this episode sponsored by State Farm that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, Stackers! it's Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience my good friend, Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early Community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there, just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want them to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh here's a disclaimer. You got to join open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it, Stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S. based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to Navy Federal org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy and federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. All right, time to get this party started.
4: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking
2: Benjamin's Headlines.
0: Our headline today comes to us from the Wall Street Journal. OG, you found this one. And we had a fantastic discussion. Usually, just so people know, the first time that OG and I discuss a headline 99.9% of the time is with the microphones hot, but this one you and I have been talking about for 24 hours since you, since you found this piece. OG. because this is a, uh, this is a fantastic piece from wall street journal. Uh, Rachel Louise Enzen and uh, Peter Rudiger wrote this rich millennials to financial advisors. Thanks for the golf invite, but you can't invest my money. Wealthy young investors don't see much use for the wealth management firms their parents rely on. They'd rather pick their own stocks or plow money into crypto. The piece starts. Michael Martosi, a 26-year-old startup founder, ignores the golf invitations and other solicitations from the Goldman Sachs Group financial advisor trying to land him as a client. 18 Holes isn't particularly appealing to the Miami-based Mr. Martosi, and neither is paying for financial advice. Instead, he oversees his hundreds of thousands of dollars in investments himself, he funnels 90% of his money into cryptocurrency to check his stocks. He pulls up Robin hood on his phone. It's easy to manage 500,000, a million yourself, says Mr. Martosi, who says he spends less than an hour a week monitoring his investments.
3: Uh, we're back up to the part where you said that 90% of his money
0: is in crypto. <laughs> what could go wrong there? Uh. And by the way, this isn't a rip on crypto either. I want people to hear what's coming. I think appropriately. OG. Oh, gee. You and I have increasingly talked about how wading into crypto, if you're a risk taker, is a fine move, but it still is the Wild West. And like we say, with any individual stock, limit it to maybe 5% of your portfolio, Yeah, 10 if you're nasty.
3: Yeah, well, and it's speculative, obviously. And like we've talked about a couple of times, the whole point about crypto is the technology. So... That's the interesting or exciting part about it. And if you happen to roll the dice a little bit, make a few bucks, so be it. But um, I don't know. I, I think it would be a little silly to put 90% of your net worth into it. But apparently this guy knows better than everybody else,
0: so he can do it. Well, let's talk about this. I want to peel back this onion in many different ways. Let's talk about the marketing of this Goldman Sachs person who wants to take a 26-year-old golfing. I I kind of think those days are over, right? Don't you think the rubber chicken dinner... The hey, let's go play around a golf. Those days gone.
3: I don't know that it's over. I think I would much rather hang out with. I would much rather. I should say with existing clients. I would much rather go to dinner with somebody than do a Zoom call. True. You know what I mean? Like all of the planning stuff happens all the time. We're we're working on stuff all the time for clients, and it's happening behind the scenes. And on occasion, we have time with them and, and talk about, you know, how they're doing and that sort of thing. But from a relationship standpoint, I would much rather go to dinner or go play golf or something.
0: But that's with an existing client, but I'm quote prospecting, mm-hmm. you know, spending four hours with somebody you don't know. Um, Like if somebody called me and said, Hey, you want to spend four hours with me on a golf course so I can consistently pitch you or, you know, get to know you. Like, I, I don't know. It's kind of like...
3: Joke would be on them because spending four hours with you golfing is... <laughs> Painful. <laughs> like... <laughs> Pretty much the worst thing imaginable.
0: It's war. we get through like five holes in four hours. Uh, as I'm constantly looking, I would be my like, ball.
3: "Listen, I don't really want your business that bad."
0: <laughs> but I think about this, you know. I mean, people are smart about this with dating, right? Talking to f- friends of mine who are single, they're like, "Hey, you don't book dinner; you book a cup of coffee because mm-hmm. you can get out of coffee in fifteen minutes." You know, if it's going south, fifteen minutes later, I'm out. That's that's the first thing. The second thing here, though, is the idea of managing $500,000 or a million dollars without anybody protecting your, your back without anybody who knows this stuff and isn't emotional about your money, who's, who's going to help you protect your downside.
3: Well, you know where I fall on this, but um, you know,
0: well, I just think that even if it's not a quote financial advisor or the dude at Goldman Sachs that they're talking about here, having smart people around you, that you're talking to about money, like clearly when you've got 90% of your money in crypto and you're talking about managing a million dollars on the Robinhood app, Robinhood, by the way, in the news again because of another data breach. Did you see this one?
3: No, I didn't. Yeah, that's surprising.
0: Data breach. Not surprising. At Robinhood. Uh, we'll link to that in the show notes, but we're not going to really spend a lot of time there. I think we spent enough time in 2021 talking about uh, the dumpster fire that's Robinhood. But clearly, if you're managing a million dollars on Robinhood and 90% of your money's in crypto, you don't have anybody protecting your back.
3: Well, and and therein, I think, lies the issue, right, is that uh, probably, and I know one of the people said that he he interviewed a number of people and nobody wanted to talk about crypto or real estate, so they must, uh, they must not be great advisors. So he's going to do it himself. I think that the smarter you get, the more you recognize that there's areas of your life that you're an expert in. And obviously, this person whoever they're talking about here started a company and is super successful in that area so put all of your energy into doing that you know like we talk about trying to increase your income or or trying to decrease expenses you, you can only decrease expenses so much right but you can increase your income to infinity so if you spend all of your time and energy trying to get better at the thing that you're already really good at like what's the return on investment to that versus well, I'm not paying somebody 10,000 bucks a year, you know, or $20,000 a year, whatever the number ends up being. Yeah, it's a cost, but it's it's an investment into something else that you can be doing, whether it's bettering yourself in your existing career or, you know, preventing stupid stuff like I'm putting 90% of my money in crypto.
4: Yeah. Uh,
0: tra- Travis Chambers I think is the gentleman you're talking about. This is further down in the piece. 33 years old, landed a $9 million windfall from selling part of his advertising agency this year. Pretty nice. Interviewed four financial advisors over video. And this is where I wanted to throw my mouse. He thought they put too little effort into explaining how their investments were unique and worth the fees. Doesn't
3: everybody have the same access to everything?
0: (laughs) An advisor's job is not to sell you unique shit. That's not your advisor's job. Yeah. It isn't to come up with the clown suit of the day that's going to make you giggle or show you flashy new things that you haven't seen before. If you want to do that, you as the CEO of your own money company, you should do that. You should be out exploring those things. Feel free to explore those things. And then you go to your advisor and you go, Hey, what could go wrong if I invest in this thing? And by the way, If I do this, how would this fit in my portfolio? Where should I put it? What are the potential downsides? What are the risks? Like when I surround myself with good people, I'm not expecting them to bring me a bunch of unique shit. It just, why is that the important thing that an advisor should do? Why is that what's worth the fee? You know where the advisor earns their fee? You already know this OG, but the advisor earns their fee by having you not blow up your plan. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, the good news is that uh, Mr. Chambers here decided to uh, go his own route. Yes. And so instead of the unique investments or the boring stuff that all these, uh, you know, curmudgeonly old financial people were telling him, he decided it would be much better to put a million dollars into a hedge fund run by his business partner's neighbor.
0: His business partner's (laughs) neighbor.
3: (laughs) And it gets better. It gets better, Joe. And he earmarked another million and a half to build Airbnbs. In futuristic huts in a dry lake bed in Utah, <laughs> because that's gonna—that's where the money is. Dry lake bed, Airbnb huts in a futuristic compound in And by Utah. the way, if
0: his goal is to build a business with this money, you talk to your advisor, you go, hey, I'm going to build a real estate business with this money. And by the way, my business is going to be futuristic huts. And and let's take this out of the plan. But it's not presented that way at all, OG. He thinks this oh, thing no. is, is not a business. It's an investment. Like, like, he's comparing that with the S&P 500 ETF, you know?
3: And hold on, there's more. But wait. He also got an offer from U.S. Bank where they're going if to, if they put a million dollars into a brokerage account, they're going to they're gonna give him a personal line of credit of 2.75%, which is a pretty reasonable rate. Um, it says he's considering it. He's going to probably still manage his own money, and it, but he would use the line of credit to buy things like an airplane and a car, you know, things that will increase in value. <laughs> it says it right here, folks. Because cars appreciate, and so do airplanes. Actually,
0: clearly, and and once again, no stank on him wanting to manage his own money, to be involved in his own money. Nope. But who is on his team telling him, hey, you know what, boss? There's some stuff here that could go south.
3: Yep. Yeah. This is no different than the uh, the coach of the year. You know who this is from the great University of Michigan the coach of the year the coach of the century had his press conference a couple weeks ago after the big win and he said some people are on third base and they feel like they or what did he say they were born on third base but feel like they hit a triple you know this is the same argument about diversification that has begun to be very difficult to explain to people who have only been investing the last 5 or 6 years you know this is the same thing that's true about tech investing or large U.S. tech companies uh, low these past five or six years? Because you and I both remember the tech bubble, right, in 99 and 2000, and the NASDAQ hit its all-time high in February or March of 2000. Trivia question. At that moment, you were probably pretty convinced that tech was the new thing, right? We had just crossed into Y2K. There's no not going to be any malls anymore. Everything's going to be online, yada, yada, yada. NASDAQ hits an all-time high. When did it hit it again? From February or March of 2000. When was the next time it got back to that money? Because it started going down, right? So it went down, and then it came back up. But when did it come back up again?
0: Probably got to be again 2012, 2013,
3: 2015. 20- as a matter of
0: 2015. fact, 2015. So when you're looking at your investment
3: portfolio and you're saying, okay, I've enjoyed this great success. You know, I, I happen to invest a great deal of money in the S and P which, by the way, is predominantly five large U.S. tech companies, Or I invested a ton of money into the NASDAQ, you know, QQQ, and it's gone up from you know $100 a share to $400 a share in six years, I'm an investing genius. I want you to remember that this has happened before. This story, we've watched the movie. It
0: feels like 1999 all over again.
3: And I don't think that what and – I, and I know you don't mean this, and I certainly don't mean this, which is to say today's the top or from now on it can only go down because I don't believe any of that either but if your investment philosophy is large US tech companies are it like the only thing I should invest my money in is the S&P and Nasdaq because the last 6 years it's gone up 4x you have to remember that there is very recent history in your lifetime probably that you would have to ha- be patient enough that from today you would be okay with holding your existing positions, watching them go down, oh, you know, roughly 70% from here and taking until uh, 2036 to get back to even money and never make a change. If that's your investing philosophy of large US tech is all that there is, then you're saying, I'm signing up for that because it's happened before. Prove to me it can't happen again. So can you watch your nasdaq qqq fund go from 400 bucks a share down to 100 and then back to 400 right but have that take until 2036 and if the answer is no then you're probably under diversified and this is true not just for tech stocks or nasdaq it's true for bitcoin it's true for anything it's true for any single company you know i was talking to somebody the other day who had uh, a large exposure in, in their company just looking at this year their their stock had gone from 20 bucks to five, back to 11, that's the exposure. That's the volatility you have to be okay with if you're going to have individual stock, which is fine. But if you're narrowing your investment philosophy or investment thesis into one specific thing, dry lake bed, Airbnb, futuristic huts, or real estate in Atlanta is the only thing that can be successful long term. Like you're, I think you're missing out and you're going to, f- if history is a guide and it's really the only guide we have, there's going to be periods of time that are pretty, pretty tough to deal with. And here's the problem. That's when you make the bad decision. Yeah, The bad decision wasn't to put $100,000 in NASDAQ in February of 2000. That wasn't a bad decision. The bad decision was in 2003 going, yeah, I can't take it anymore. And you're ta- cashing out of your $100,000 and you know doing the next thing that's
0: the bad decision do you have the patience to hold it to your point that's the question yeah nvidia think about this one one of the three stocks this guy talks about on twitter nvidia 2002 beginning of the year opened at 67 dollars a share in 2012 nvidia opened the year at 14 from 67 to 14. Does this sound like a stock that you're holding for the long term? Think about, you've held this stock technology for 10 years, and it's gone from 67 to 14. You've lost so much money at that point. Now, if you held it till 2016, you were back to almost 50%. You were at $32 a share back in NVIDIA.
3: Yeah, but if I would have bought it in January of 1999 at $0.39 cents split adjusted then i'd be a gazillionaire cuz it's up 73,000%. Yes. Also, you had to be okay with a whole bunch of, you know, 90% losses along the way.
0: Trading over $320 a share. This is not a stock for the long term. I mean It, it is in in retrospect. Well, yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> the last 20 years it's a hell of an investment. Well, that's what
0: i love about <laughs> this tweet. This tweet is has so much survivor bias in it. Look, if you would have bought these three things that are easy they're names that you know, but you remember at, at that time, you know what is it was? Household names back then that were stocks for the long term were General Electric, Home Depot. Remember that? Like, everybody needs to have General Electric and Home Depot in their portfolio. Yeah, seems. but GE, GE was at
3: 90 in 1996, and then 450 yeah. in August of 2000. And today we're at 95
0: so to wrap up this segment, guys, this is not... Reverse splits, by the
3: way, happened. Yeah, right. On- <laughs> well, seriously, it did. Like, yeah. chew on that a little bit. GE yeah. He did a reverse split.
0: Yeah, we've got to take some of these shares back and uh, because we got to shore things up with the shareholders. Because the price looks too cheap <laughs> for people to buy us.
3: We need to be trading in the $100 range like JP Morgan. Our so we're just going to have way less shares out sucking there.
0: Sucking so bad. But remember when that was the hot thing. I mean, you hot. had to have... G- that was a stock for the long term. So I think, and this is the bad news, we're not going to have a takeaway for, okay, what do you do with this? But what you do with it is use tools like modern portfolio theory, asset allocation, spreading your risk, or if you're going to go trade individual stocks, which you know we've never said that we're, that we're in favor of, if, if you're going to trade individual stocks, know what the hell you're doing. Like have, have an idea of really what your exit strategy is going to be. And I'll tell you, and this is where I want to talk about what we're going to do next week with this trading Academy. A woman named Jess from Delta trading Academy is joining me for these myths about trading. And it's funny that how much traders, good traders have in common with good long-term buy and hold investors. We talk about having an investment policy statement. Yes. Having a strategy when you go in, yes. Understanding what your money is meant to do and, and sticking to your rules, yes. All of these things. And I know there's a bunch of people out there listening, a bunch of stackers that are trading curious. They're like, hmm, I've always wondered. And by the way, the reason we decided not to do this on the show and to do it as a webinar is because if you're not trading curious, fantastic. We don't want to bore you with something that is, uh, doesn't affect you and your strategy anyway. But if you said to yourself, You know, no matter what Joe and OG say, I think I'm going to go start trading some stocks. If you're going to do it, instead of opening up that Robinhood account and letting all your information get stolen again. Again. Instead, instead, we're going to introduce you to some people that have been doing this. Vance, the CEO. OG's been teaching people for over 40 years how to trade stocks. Jess, the woman who's going to be with me, I've spent a lot of time with Jess. She's absolutely brilliant. I've gone over all the things that they do. So if you're trading curious... Join us next Wednesday. And the URL to sign up is com slash trading. com slash trading. I never thought we'd have a trading academy. I never thought we'd partner with one. But you know what? I'm so tired of the foolish stuff going on, OG. Mm-hmm. And if we can't stop you from doing it, let's at least help you do it right. Time for our TikTok minute. Our TikTok minute is the spot where we talk about some great stuff happening at TikTok. And often, it's great financial advice. Often, too, it's crazy stuff, Uh, maybe not so good advice. So, OG, which one do we have today?
3: Oh, not so good advice. We're going to carry on the theme today.
0: One of the keys in any relationship is to not have to give up half of your stuff, you know, we talk about your net worth. You don't want to give up half of your net worth. Here's a guy who might be on the way to giving up his, his, half his net worth. Let's hear what his wife has to say about him.
4: The time my friends were over,
1: we were all sitting here watching a movie. You came downstairs completely nude, covered head to toe in salsa, and screamed, who wants huevos rancheros now, big
0: <laughs> Yeah. The key to stacking Benjamins is not to give up half your stack. By coming downstairs nude, <laughs> covered in salsa on Girls Movie Night. Don't do that, dudes. Don't do that.
3: Don't show up on Girls Movie Night. Got it.
0: Okay, it's going to be weird here. Uh, usually, I'm interviewing somebody else, but OG, oh, we're going to turn this thing over to Doc G in a second as he interviews me and my my co oh, boy co-author, Emily guy Burkin. We're going to talk about messages from our new book, Stacked, which is a guidebook to help you with modern money management. We talked about having good people in your corner and good advice in your corner. Our goal writing this book was to give you a guide to either begin getting invested, build good credit, get your foundation in place, or if you're further along, to not make mistakes like uh, building futuristic huts and buying depreciating assets uh, like planes and cars with all of your all your money. So, uh, Emily Guy Birkin and I coming up in the hot seat as we turn the table around with our friend Doc My G. How the
3: turntable? Yes,
0: from Earn and Invest. But first, oh, we got Doug here. Doug might have a little rant for us. Let's listen. Hey there, stackers, I'm
1: Joe's mom's neighbor Doug. You know, since we're about to chat about the smash hit new book, Stacked, your super serious guide to modern money management, seems like today's a great day to also mention my book, The World According to Joe's Mom's Neighbor Doug. I mean, this book's got everything. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll want to adopt orphans in third world countries. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. At the very least, you're gonna pick up some great cocktail recipes. While my book is still waiting to be discovered by, you know, like actual publishers, Stacked is not, and has a good chance of making the New York Times bestseller list. With a little help from you, this bad boy is going stratospheric. So here's today's question. How many books do you have to sell to make the New York Times bestseller list? No, seriously, I have no clue. You know what? Let's take a break while I go Google that shit.
0: You know, OG, while things still in many ways spin out of control, at the same time, I feel like there's a sense of normalcy, isn't there? Like, oh, we've been here before. Like this is last year combined a little bit with what came before that. And we get this hodgepodge, but it really hopefully feels a little more normal this holiday season. And Navy Federal Credit Union's cash reward card helps you slay the season. Get it? S-L-E-I-G-8. Yeah. Uh, you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases when you sign up for direct deposit. You can redeem points as soon as you earn them. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. That's NavyFederal.org, insured by NCUA.
1: Hey there, stackers. I'm salsa aficionado and renowned huevos Rancheros, chef. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. During the break, I followed up with a few publishers about The World According to Joe's Mom's Neighbor Doug, and turns out the romance novel market's pretty saturated, which sucks because I've already got a rendering of a shirtless OG for the cover. I may have to change my book so it'll fit into the sci-fi fantasy genre with self-help subtext, but I am not changing the cover art. OG's chest hair is spectacular. That'll sell copies all by itself. Which leads me back to our trivia question. How many copies of a book need to be sold to have it make the New York Times bestseller list? Turns out the answer is stupidly complicated and probably rigged so I'll never make it on there. Their formula includes all this malarkey like your social media presence, and people gotta buy your books from different sites, Mars has to be in line with Jupiter, world peace has to be, I mean, it's just unbelievable what they make you jump through to get on that list. And on top of all of that, basically you gotta sell like 10,000 copies in a week. So let's hand this over to Doc G to hear
4: his conversation with Joe and Emily about their new book. Joe and Emily, welcome to the show. Emily, I want to start with you. There have been some great general personal finance books out there written recently. Why write another one? And let me me turn that question around. Put differently, what's different about Stacked?
2: Well, most of the money books out there are going to be pretty straightforward. They're going to tell you how to budget. They're going to explain the basics of investing. And that is all really great information. But there are a lot of people out there who the idea of picking up a money book gives them hives. You know, It's just like, (laughs) oh my goodness, I can't possibly do this. I am so far behind that I'm not even going to understand this book. So Joe came to me with an idea of making a playful book, one that uses humor and where you are reading and enjoying what you're reading and also learning about money. So rather than it being this sense of, I've got to go learn about money, it's more like, oh, I'm going to laugh my way through this book. And by the end, I'm going to feel a lot more confident and, uh, and connected with my money. Joe, can it
4: backfire? I mean, is there something about personal finance that needs a level of seriousness? Do we detract from it if we make it funny? No, absolutely. I think, I think it can
0: backfire. And I think that being goofy or being over the top often makes people think that this isn't a serious topic. The, the problem, Doc, and by the way, thanks for having us on. I really appreciate it. We, the, the, the thing that frustrates me is that I saw this statistic a few months ago that 65% of people have cried about their money. And by the way, we think that that's often low income, right? And certainly there is a difference between having very little money. And I was there where I was crying about my money and didn't know where to turn. But it it is kind of income agnostic because the study that I read even showed that people making over $250,000, 60% of those people have cried about their money. So when we feel so uptight and we feel so unsure of ourselves and we're not really sure where to turn, I think the first thing we have to do is know that it's going to be okay. And we have to know that, that we will get through this. So I really wanted to make sure that number one, this is a serious book and we definitely make some very serious points, but if we can approach them in a way that helps you get into it and And, have the difficult conversations that we often don't want to have or or don't even know the right questions to ask, right like back back then, when I was crying about money, I didn't know what to ask, so if we can get into that in a fun way so that we're not crying about it, I think that's a good place to
4: start. Emily, do you agree with Joe? Can you think back to a moment where you were crying about money, regardless of where you were on the income scale?
2: Oh, yes, definitely. My money stress is generally not like other people's money stress. I've always been a money nerd. I've always tracked my expenses, even when I was working retail right out of college and making very little money. I've always been very good at keeping track of my money and keeping um, on pace with it. But the thing is, money is emotional, it's psychological, we put moral meanings to it. And so when I have cried about money, it has been when I have felt like I don't deserve money that I've been getting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in particular, when my father passed away, and I was the beneficiary of his life insurance, um, I experienced incredible distress and stress about that money, because I felt like, Anything I did with it would be some sort of betrayal of my my father. That uh, you know, accepting this money, using it for something that I wanted, would in some way indicate that I was glad to have the money and not have my father. So when Joe says that that it's income agnostic, crying over money, I, I absolutely believe that because even in that study, I think that the other thirty five percent of people have also cried about money just not in the way that we're thinking of. We think of crying about money because I'm not sure how I'm going to pay rent. And, and that, that causes me stress and I'm crying. And that is certainly a, a stressor that you see over and over and over again. But on the other hand, you see people who are conflicted about money in other ways, people who are are experiencing other types of money stress that is not as socially acceptable, I'll even say, because that was one of the things that was also very difficult about the situation with my my father's money. And I've, I've spoken to people who have lost spouses who feel the same way because they you know have become instant millionaires because of life insurance. And they can't talk to anyone about the fact that they are overwhelmed with this, this money stress that a lot of people would say like, oh, I'd love to have that stress. I, I know someone who lost a husband and who had a therapist actually say that to her. So that's something that I think that we need to be looking at and and be accepting of and and be open to the sense that money is going to cause stress no matter where you are on on the money spectrum. And not knowing where to turn is a problem anywhere on the money spectrum and wanting to have the ability to think and talk openly about money. And again, getting back to like the the point of, of what we did with Stacked, being able to joke whether that is just kind of making jokes that, you know, like we, we both love dad jokes, you know, making, making the the, the the silly puns and things like that but then also having the ability to make some gallows humor some of the best ways of dealing with really terrible stress is is making fun of it and so the the gallows humor that my sister and I shared after my father passed away you know for instance my, my dad refused to wear a seatbelt and uh, he died of, a, of a, a brain tumor and so his friends and and we the in the days after he died were like well he was right about the seatbelt so <laughs> So bad. Um, It it was, and it was, it was one of those where like we all laughed, and someone from the outside would have been like, that's horrible. But that having that release, that release valve that we also know my dad would have laughed at as well is something that's so important. And because money is, Is such a taboo subject in in our society, we don't create those release valves. We don't give people that chance to to make those those dark jokes or any jokes at all. And so giving people that opportunity is a way to kind of relieve stress, even if that doesn't solve the problem. It does alleviate some stress and gives you the, the mental breathing room that you need to kind of make a better decision. So it
4: sounds like most people, regardless of income, have money stress in their lives. We may have different levels of income or different jobs, but when it comes to talking about personal finance, we often need a common place to start. Joe, let me quote the beginning of your book here. You said, virtually every financial book starts with the same tired move, asking you to write out your goals. While there's nothing wrong with the strategy for financial planning, seeing it over and over starts to feel like hearing the same old pickup lines hey, baby, are those some well-thought-out financial goals in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? (laughs) Is it hot in here, or is it just your 30-year financial plan? And last, but of course my favorite, I like your money goals. They look great in a pile in my bedroom floor. What's, What's wrong with starting at the end? What's wrong with this whole idea that all these personal finance books tell you, hey, let's start with your goals? Why is that not necessarily the right way to begin? It actually isn't that that's the wrong place to start.
0: It's that every single book presents that truism, begin with your goals, but doesn't do it in any way that makes this actually do it. You know, Ramit Sadie starts out his book, I'll Teach You to Be Rich, with some actionable stuff that you can do. And I think that's part of the magic of that book. He's like, listen, everybody gives you this philosophical crap at the beginning and and you're going to do nothing with it, even though you know you should, right? You You nod your head, you go, yeah, that's great. So Emily and I knew that we had to start at the responsible place, which is exactly with begin with the end in mind, but we actually show you how to do it in a way that makes sense and that will make all the rest of your goal setting easier. And that is timeline out your goals, take these goals. So instead of going, yeah, someday I want to retire. Well, what, what day is that? What's it going to look like afterwards? And I'll give you an example of where I think people mess it up. People use this 25 times number. The 25 times number is BS. I know people that want to live this extravagant lifestyle once they stop working. And I know other people that don't want to spend any money. So taking what you're doing now and 25 xing it, while it's nice and it's a rule of thumb, our point in chapter one is it's so fun and it's so easy to do it the right way by actually timelining your goals backward. Why don't you want to use a rule of thumb at all? Like, why do I start there? And sometimes I get pushback about that. And I push back on the pushback that really, it's way more fun. It's way more helpful if you actually do a little bit more lifting and go, you know what? I want this on this date. I want this on this date. And I want this on this other date. And what's funny is we'll often see for people, especially that have children. When I was a financial planner, I would see people that would say, yeah, my kid's going to go to college. I want to retire X day. And then I would see when I timeline it out right in front of them. By the way, I go to a whiteboard, I time it, timeline it out, and I'd show these little stick people and this stick people on the left where you are today, timeline across the, to the right, retirement and the kids' college happening at the same damn time. And guess what? Because it's 16 years from now, they never knew it. Like they they totally never knew that these things were going to fall together. So then we'd have to talk about well, if you don't have enough money for both. Which one goes like, do you retire later? Do you retire on less money for a while? And then, and then help junior get through college. Does junior do more of the heavy lifting toward college? If that's a goal, does junior, you know, a lot of families are even talking about what's, what's the college ROI. Now you've done that on this show many times. So does college even have an ROI? Do we need to talk about that? But by timelining your goals, you get to these interesting granular conversations that a 25 X BS number doesn't do. It doesn't give you any of that, that cool stuff that we're all searching for.
2: One thing that I notice is that all of us have a really hard time keeping timelines in our heads. So for instance, you will be like, you'll have in your head, okay, on Tuesday, I'm having lunch with my sister. And then also in your head, like, I've got a dentist appointment on August 17th. And then all of a sudden, like, it's not until you're having lunch with your sister, you realize today is August 17th and I have a dentist appointment. (laughs) And so... And that, that happens to us all the time. Every single one of us has that experience. And that's kind of where I feel like that timelining your goals is really helpful because do that on a Tuesday, you know, that, that happens to all of us. And you end up, you know, like getting to, to the dentist with spinach in your teeth because you had to run from lunch (laughs) But if you do that on the like larger, like 16 years from now scale, 25 years from now scale, you are missing like major swaths of time just because you're thinking like, yeah, my kid's 15 and three years he's going to be going to college. And you're just not even thinking about the fact that like, yeah, and in five years, I want to be retired and not recognizing that overlaps. And so having this opportunity to really look through this and, and put it on a timeline so you're not putting it in separate baskets in your mind um, where you just don't think about how they intersect with each other.
0: It leads you to this great equation of I'm going to need X amount of money times Y return to get this goal. And it gives me these three factors that I can play with. I can either save more money if I decide, you know what, this rate of return, I I don't think I can reach that, or I don't think my risk tolerance can reach that. I can then decide to save more money. And yet, what, what do most people do? When, when I would go to companies and I'd ask them about how much money they saved in their 401k, I'd say, how'd you come up with that? Well, that's what I could afford. I would ask this brilliant question. Brilliant, by the way, question. And I'm, I'm being very tug-in-cheek. <laughs> what will that give you? Where do you end by putting in that money? And they go, I don't know. And I'd say, why did you choose this, this range of investments? I chose these investments because they're the ones that look comfortable to me, right? So instead, if I timeline the goals back, I know what my budget needs to be. I know what my risk tolerance needs to be. Then I can have conversations about how I get it. But it really comes down to, and I want to go back to just for a second, this idea of people that use shortcuts, the 4% rule, the 25X number. One of my favorite books of all time on organization is by a guy named David Allen. It's called Getting Things Done. And this thing has gone through so many reprints because this is if you want to get organized, read getting things done. And people, he's got this whole community of they call themselves GTDers, right? David Allen says, when you pick up a piece of paper one time, decide what to do with it. Most of us don't do that. We pick up the piece of paper, like, I don't know what to do with it, so I'm gonna sit it back down right here. And he said, he made this point. He said, if you don't have the time to do it right now, and you're gonna sit the piece of paper back down again when are you going to have the time to do it right and do it once and do it right and get done with it instead of, you know, a lot of us have these stacks talking about stack. We have these stacks of paper sitting next to us that we're going to get to pick it up once, do it right. And the stack will go away. I think it's the same thing, doc, with rules of thumb, with a rule of thumb, with the 25 X rule or the, or the 4% rule, I'm going to have to pick it up again. By timelining my goals, I'm going to pick it up again to tweak it. But now I know I've got so much more information because I did it right, and then I'm not going to have to go back and mess, unmess up my mistakes. Unmess up—that's a great phrase.
4: <laughs> we we always <laughs> get the so best stuff yourself. from
0: you, Joe, on this. <laughs> that is that is it. <laughs> I will coin a new phrase whether I want to or not.
4: Emily, one thing I'm thinking, and one of the things that I love about timelining, which comes out later on in the book, is I can't tell you how many times I've been in a personal finance forum and someone says, I just sold my house and I have $100,000 extra. How should I invest the money? And I love this idea that timelining can help you decide how aggressively to invest. Because ultimately, what always comes out in those forums is, well, what do you need the money for, Mm -hmm. right? And they say, well, I wanna buy a car next year, but then my kid's going to college in five years and then I wanna have enough to retire when I'm 50. I love the fact that you can actually use timelining to answer that question, how do I invest my money?
2: Yes. Yeah, so often a lot of financial stuff feels amorphous because it's just like, what's the best thing to do with this hundred thousand dollars or even what's the best thing to do with this unexpected $5,000. And it, it feels amorphous because we don't get that granular. And because we have so many of these rules of thumb now uh, rules of thumb can be helpful as a place to start you know, when I was trying to talk to my husband about retirement and things like that, just kind of giving him a place to start like, okay, here's back of the envelope numbers using rules of thumb. But the thing is, if you really want to know what's going to be best for you, you need to get specific. And so having, you know, goals timelined like Joe advocates in the book and and explains how to do in the book that allows you to get into that kind of specificity so that you are not just like, well, I think it'll generally be okay. If I do this, you can get into like, oh, okay. So for the car that I want to buy next year, this is an option. And you know, if I put this much away and anticipate this kind of return, I will have enough for a down payment or enough to pay cash. And then for my child going to college, if I do this in that 529, or if I choose to do do something else in case they don't go to college. And so then you're asking the right questions instead of asking, like, what should I do? Which is one of those. No one can answer that for you. You're asking like, OK, what's the best option to make sure that I have the thirty thousand dollars I need for a new car next year? what's the best option to make sure that I have money set aside from a child who may or may not go to college? Is 529 the best option? Or might it make more sense to put it into a taxable account or something like that? And so, one goal is
0: not sabotaging the other.
2: Exactly. Once you start doing that, because if you have, what should I do with hundred thousand dollars that I unexpectedly got? You get a lot of people who are like index funds. And so it's like, one of my favorite lines, if I if, if it's okay that I, I I curse, my favorite lines from the Big Lebowski is "You're not wrong, you're just an asshole." <laughs> so, <laughs> in that, that doesn't that's not all-purpose panacea for any money question, and it really has to get down into the specifics of what it is you want, where you want to go, when you want to go where you want to go, and what your tolerances are, and and uh, what your what your general ability and financial stability is. I
0: thought it was interesting that when we were explaining like how to then invest money and how to look at timeframes, like Emily had this whole uh, like farming analogy she wanted to do. And I was like, Uh. back off, back (laughs) off that, Emily. And Emily just insisted that we use farming all the way through the book. It was Joe's
2: farming analogy. Please, (laughs) let's correct the record.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But we 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 do doc use a farming analogy. But it makes sense to me as a guy that grew up in farm country that, you know, if you're going to plant corn, you plant during a growing season, right? You have a growing season for corn. So if you have a 20 year time frame, I, I know this is going to sound brilliant, but you look at investments historically that have that growing season, you figure out which ones have done well with that growing season and you buy that. And instead of, and I think what people freak out about when they first start out is they look at all the different things they could grow. But if they start off with, well, when do you want the food? You grow it. But but it's also important. You not only put it in the ground at the right time, you let it grow. And so we make this point. How often do you have people go, hey, I'm partway through the summer. My corn's only halfway high, but I think I'm going to pull it out and replant watermelon. Right, you're like, what the hell is that about? Like, why why am I doing? You gotta give the corn the growing season. Like, don't it's it's halfway done. Doesn't matter what's going on in the market today or during the summer months or whatever. I'm going to finish this analogy. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> what matters is is that you don't mess up your own plan by pulling it out early. Yeah, yeah. Emily was all about the farming. Uh huh. Yeah, that
4: was me. I want to pivot to some of the more counterintuitive parts of the book. Because I think there's some information there, which when I first read it, I said, boy, I've never heard that idea before. And it really made me think about how we think about our finances. Let's talk about the side of the equation of making money. You guys say that when it comes to side hustles, the sharing economy might not be your friend. Why do you say that?
0: Yeah, we had a lot of this comes from my experience podcasting and talking to people far smarter than me. I like being the dumbest person in the room, <laughs> and, and we try to book those people on our show. And uh, Dr. Juliet Shore came on and did the math around driving for Uber, driving for for Lyft, and more and more. This isn't the sharing economy because there's not a lot of sharing going on. You're doing the heavy lifting, and the corporate overlords that run these companies are taking the vast majority of that cash. Now, I had some listeners push back on me when we ran that interview and said no i've been able to make good money driving for uber my point still in in the book and i think emily agrees is that if if it's a short term thing maybe go ahead and drive for somebody else maybe pay off those credit cards and do that if it's a long term thing even if even though you're not going to make a lot of money in the beginning it's going to be much more self sustaining and i think much more your ability to keep more of your money, let's just put it that way, happens when you create a side gig. And I used to be completely against side gigs, by the way. I thought, why the hell would you go do something else when you've got this job? And studies show, by the way, the easiest way to make more money is to ask your boss for a raise. That is the easiest way to make more money. And and we talk about how to do this in the book. Do not go there emotionally like like, hey, Emily, I just need more. Mm -hmm. You've got to talk about what you're bringing to the table. And often, by the way, when you ask for a raise, I got to know, once again, if Emily's my boss, I have to know that Emily probably doesn't have the final word. So I have to turn Emily into an advocate who's working on my behalf if I ask for a raise. But back to side hustles, owning your own company is probably going to be more fulfilling. It's going to be hard work, but you own it it's yours you keep the profits you keep what you do instead of making a lot of money for somebody else
2: you kind of mentioned this but the thing that i think a lot of people need to focus on when it comes to creating a side hustle or side gig is sustainability so you know you see hustle culture and it's like you know I'll sleep when i'm dead and you know like i'm working 20 hours a day and it's like Why? (laughs) So, you know, obviously some people are in a position where that's, that's the only choice they have it's, it's that or drown, but if you're not in that position, why are you going to commit to something that is not sustainable? Why are you going to commit to something that is not enjoyable? You know, I, I absolutely love my job. I really, I, um being a writer is a, a lifelong dream come true. And I, I want you to also know there are days when I'm tearing my hair out because that's what jobs are my, <laughs> as my dad used to say, that's why I ca- that's called work. If we're, pl- if we're fun, then call it play, but I am able to power through those hair tearing days because I love what I do. And you can kind of say like what I do as a freelancer is I've got a whole bunch of different side hustles because I don't have one main nine to five that's, you know, I I, I go to, I don't have a single source of income. And that's something that I think a lot of people think, you know, like, okay, I'm just going to work myself to the bone by driving for DoorDash or Uber or Lyft on top of my nine to five on top of the other thing that I do. And you know, if that can get you out of a small hole, if that's something, if you're you're trying to save up for a specific goal, I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with doing that. I think that that can be a, a really beneficial way to do something. The problem is that if you want something that is going to be a long-term source of extra income, you're going to need something that's sustainable, and you're going to need to have patience. And so, and a lot of times, the the simplest way. Is also the hardest. So, like what Joe was talking about with getting a raise, you know, like the simplest way to get more money in your in your pockets is to get a raise. And that's going to require some hard work because you're going to need to like do some research and figure out, like, okay, what is it that my employer needs more of? What can I prove that I've already done? How can I make my boss an advocate for me with her bosses? And a lot of people are like, I don't want to do that. I'll just drive for Uber. (laughs) and and it's understandable. As someone who loves to procrastinate, I get that. <laughs> that, But getting past that hurdle, that recognition of like, this is actually the simplest and the most sustainable, and it requires some work on the front end that, you know, well, wow, that doesn't sound like fun, but you know what? It's going to get me where I need to be a lot faster. Similar with if I want to build a side gig, build a side business, it's going to require some work that may not sound fun, that may not have, have money putting going in your pocket immediately, but that is, necess- is probably going to be the simplest way and the most sustainable way to, to get extra income coming in.
4: And I, Joe, let's talk about what I think is another counterintuitive idea expressed in the book. I've never heard this term before, strategic under diversifying. What is strategic <laughs> underdiversifying and why should we not ignore it?
0: Well, so just to set this up, because I think that there are spots you need to go through first, The book is divided into four sections, stacking your first Benjamin, which I think you need to do first, right? You need to figure out how to actually get a, get a foundation under you, then stacking Benjamins, how to just build this stacking Benjamins machine, which includes part of my, one of my favorite chapter in the book, which is what to expect when you're investing, which is just hilarious and informative. But then we move into protecting your stack. And then this is at the end of the book. So I just want to be clear before I launch into this. It's an
4: advanced technique.
0: That this is an advanced technique. And this and how to hire a financial advisor that won't won't screw you over, that type of stuff is all at the bottom. But under-diversification is is important if you want to get rich because of the fact that that's that's how it works. I mean, you look at Dave Ramsey as an example, as the bajillion-pound gorilla in our space. Dave Ramsey didn't get wealthy by diversifying the way he tells people to do it on the radio, by buying a bunch of mutual funds, each one that has you know maybe two, three hundred different positions, or take the J.L. Collins approach of buying every stock, right? Buying all. Let's just buy all the stock. Or they pronounce stocks now. I don't know. The uh, but only buy if they're them going to
2: the moon. There's That's only they're to going to the, the moon. moon. That's yeah. right.
0: I just had to clarify there. So buying all of them isn't going to get isn't going to get you rich because. What that does is it is it makes it easier for you not to be poor. So there are two different ways to manage your money. There's a way that's a responsible way where I'm going to go make money some other way, and I'm going to put it in this thing, and it's going to reliably grow over time based on the economy. That's what diversification is for. If I'm going to get wealthy, it's never going to happen that way. What I have to do is buy fewer names. So instead of 300 names, maybe I buy five. And now with the same amount of money, 300 versus five, everybody can see this thing called your standard deviation is going to go through the roof and standard deviation just says this. There's a much higher probability. I'm either going to get really wealthy or, or I'm going to get really broke in a hurry, but it's going to happen much, much faster with five than it will with 300. So the key concept to know, if you're trying to get wealthy on your money, is to under diversify and it comes with to my point that I just mentioned it comes with a ton of risk it comes with a lot of risk but when people would when people ask a financial planner how do i get rich and the financial planner tells you to put your money in the S&P 500 that's not a way to get rich the way to get rich is to build a business like dave ramsey did to finish my dave ramsey analogy dave ramsey got wealthy cuz he built how many companies one one company, that company was either going to do really well or maybe just hang on or was gonna go bankrupt, right? One of the three things. and he had one that did go bankrupt or he got he, he, he ran into trouble buying real estate. So he went bankrupt once, under diversifying. So under diversifying is is clearly the way to wealth, but it's also the way to huge destruction.
4: Emily, let's pull this into what's happening today in the world. Has the pandemic changed any of this advice?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I don't know that the the pandemic has changed any advice. The pandemic has changed how we give advice and it changed how people receive it. Because good money management is the same in, in good times and bad. The thing is, when we have a huge event like the pandemic, people react differently to the same advice. And so what is necessary is, is to like be cognizant of the fact that people are gun shy. Just in the same way, if you looked at the, the advice written in 2009, compared to the advice written in 2007, there was a a slightly different tone. It went from a, a tone of like, everything's great. Here's what you do to like, everything will be okay. Here's what you do. So that's where I think one of the things that I'm hoping is, is ma- going to make stacked evergreen is that because we're coming at it from a playful point of view, that playful point of view is a, a, uh, an important balm right now for people who are overwhelmed and, and concerned and worried about their money and worried about the future. But I think that the playful point of view will also be welcome and a joy to read when things are going well, and you just want to make sure that you're on the right track with your money. So- I'm
0: with Emily. Just by the, t- I just remember that time where we're like, you know what? We're all tired of it. Like everybody, nobody wants to read a chapter on rebuilding. Let's just not be so in your face about it. But let's talk about, hey, how do you build that solid foundation? Because a lot of people need a very solid foundation right now.
4: It's a great point because I think when we think of financial information and knowledge, it's not that we change what we do because there's an emergency. In fact, it's that our knowledge and our learning in the first place help prepare us for all those unexpected changes. There truly are probably many good personal finance books. But if you want to know what to do in your own life, you probably only need to read a few of them. I was excited to read Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. I think you guys handled the topics we talked about today, but many, many more. There's a chapter on taxation and inflation, and you talk about real estate, a lot of things we didn't discuss today. This is just a small sprinkling of what you covered in the book with both grace and comedy. I wanted to thank you for coming on to the show to talk about it. Emily, why don't you tell us what's up next in your life and where can we find you if we want to know more?
2: In addition to having Stacked coming out this year, I also had the revised and updated Five Years Before You Retire was released in May of 2021. And so I would uh, invite everyone to take a look at that if you are near retirement. You can also find me at my website, emilyguyberkin.com. I blog there and then you can find information about all of my books and anything else that I'm up up to these days. And then I'm always on Twitter too much. As I said, I like to procrastinate. So Feel free to say hey to me there at Emily Guy Birkin. I would love to connect with you.
4: And Joe, we can order stacked today, correct? You
0: can. It's a pre-order and pre-orders. The book comes out December 28th. It is a fantastic holiday time gift for either people just starting out or a reminder of how to put it together yourself. The 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 pre-orders are so huge for any author because if you're going to... If you're going to make a list, and I want to back up a little bit before I get into this, which is that I get really excited just about financial literacy. I get to, I get excited about your show, Doc. I get excited about what Emily's doing outside of this project. I get excited about what we do because I think there's so many people that need this kind of stuff. So any book, whether it's this one or a different project, if you can pre-order it, let me tell you what it does. It, it allows that project to possibly make the Amazon list or make the Wall Street Journal list, which would be fantastic, or God forbid, make the, make the big, big cat, the New York times list. So pre-orders are super important to those. So if you find a project you like, whether it's this one or another one, always try to support not just the author, but support financial literacy by pre-ordering it. Even if you're going to give it to a friend, pre-order it and give it away.
4: And Joe, what's the best way to reach you if people want to interact more?
0: Yeah, guess what? The cool thing is we're going to be supporting the book ourselves by going to 40 cities around the country. You know, it depends on what this variant does, but but assuming that we're kind of cleaning up from that, fingers crossed, uh, I'll be hitting the road on January 4th and the best way to know when we're going to be in one of those 40 cities. And by the way, hopefully Doc's going to be in a few of those with us. I know Emily's going to be in a bunch of those. There'll be a
2: cardboard cutout of me when I cannot be there. (laughs) You weren't supposed to say that. (laughs) And I'm thinking though, if the variant is what it is, we could just send our cardboard cutouts around the city. <laughs> we'll, have
0: two, we'll have two cardboard
2: cutouts. Two cardboard yes. cutouts.
0: Yeah. Safer for everybody. <laughs> but our, our newsletter is a great way, Doc, to, to get that. You also get money lessons from us and, and a guide to our Stacky Benjamin show, but it's stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacked, and you'll know the tour and which cities Doc's going to be in with us and where Emily and I will be.
3: Hey, this is Andy Hill from the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. And when I'm not singing Disney karaoke songs with my kids at home, I'm stacking
0: Benjamins. Big thanks to Doc G for doing that. You'll find him, of course, at the Earn and Invest podcast, which just OG had a million downloads. Woohoo! Hold on. Get some applause for that. It's such a great milestone. And uh, is fantastic. Yeah. Hey, that's going to do it for today. We got just a couple things. Remember, if you are trading curious and we haven't talked you out of it, you really want to know how to do it and do it like the pros do it, not like your neighbor on a Robinhood app. We have a webinar coming up next Wednesday, and all details are going to be at com slash trading. So, com slash trading. Jess from Delta Trading Academy will be there. I'll be there and we'll talk you through some of the myths about trading. And you'll see how much it's a lot like the buy and hold strategies that you and I talk about a lot on the show. When you talk to the pros, everybody's got rules, everybody has boundaries. When you break the rules and you second guess your strategy, that's when you blow yourself up. You're going to hear a lot of that, but you're also going to see some of the cool ideas that, uh, that good traders use. So if you're going to trade, at least do it the right way. <laughs> Staggybenjamins.com slash trading to uh, join us there. Second, I'm super excited about OG oh, about the new 201. Thank you for everybody who left us notes and congratulations on that. I know Brooke Miller worked her butt off on the 201 and it's really paid and part of that by the way is a referral program so if you want to refer other stackers to the show sign them up give them the link to the newsletter
3: <laughs> nope sign them up you're right the don't, first don't sign don't sign up do it without them knowing That's
0: absolutely horrible send them your unique referral link if you get the 201 you can click a button you'll get a unique referral link and send that to them, and that will introduce them uh, the best way possible, which is through the newsletter, because of the fact that uh, the 201 dives into all of these all these areas we talk about on the show in, in much, much more depth, but still with a ton of humor and with a lot of actionable advice. And to get yourself on that, it's stackingbenjamins.com slash 201, the number 201. And last, but definitely not least, as we look into another corner, you know what? It's not about trading and it's not about a bunch of links. It's about actually putting a strategy together. And if you want better help in your corner, somebody who might talk you out of buying depreciating assets with the money that you got from your company that you sold, OG and his team are working with some new individuals and families, so head on over to their calendar at stack slash OG. And that's the link where you can interface with OG and his team to, uh, to see how they can help you make better decisions next year and beyond. Finally, I I already said finally, I think twice OG, but finally tell those of you who celebrate happy final crazy night of Hanukkah. Got one last night. You got to go big, right? Got to go big. You got one night left. Go big or go home. Absolutely. And you know what? Don't go home. Just go big. So, Just go big. Happy Hanukkah to those of you who celebrate. All right. That's going to do it for today. Coming up on uh, Wednesday, I'm so excited he's back, OG. Ed Slott coming back with year-end tax tips. And if you've ever, well, whether you've heard Ed Slott on this show or not, Ed not only is second to none when it comes to phenomenal tax advice, Ed also has a sense of humor that is fantastic if anybody knows the dad jokes it's it's mr slot so uh he'll be joining us on wednesday you're gonna want to have some place to take notes probably with ed because he always brings it when he comes to the basement all right that's gonna do it for today doug you got it from here man what should we have learned today
1: sure thing joe i'll tell everybody what they should have learned today first crying about your money you're not alone so are over 150 million other people it's time to focus on basics and build a foundation. You can do this! Second, selling stock in the company you work for? Remember not to load up on any single company, but especially stock in the company you work for. Diversification is the key to staying solvent. So limit your company's stock exposure to five or 10% max. But the big lesson? Turns out the world isn't ready for the knowledge bombs I'm dropping in the world, according to Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Just as we learned with intellectual think peace shark NATO, a man can be ahead of his time. Maybe I'll have to dumb things down a little bit. Thank you to Doc G for interviewing Joe and Emily. You can find his podcast, Earn and Invest, wherever you're listening to us right now. And don't forget to keep your eyes open for his own upcoming book, Taking Stock, A Hospice Doctor's Advice on Financial Independence, Building Wealth, and Living a Happy, Regret-Free Life. And thank you to Tostitos brand, Medium Chunk Salsa. You know why. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. Copyright 2021. And is created by Joe Salciha. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Know how I know how brilliant Paulette is? She wrote the words I'm reading right now. While she's not putting awesome words in my mouth, she helps writers power their work and businesses power their words. See how she can help you at thatwriterpaulette.com. After you listen to our show, check out our show notes page and the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 401 about all things money at the 201, our newsletter, at stackingbenjamins.com/slash 201. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer. The amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all The Basement fun with other stackers, Type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, reminding you, don't put off tomorrow anything. You can put off until the day after tomorrow. That's way better than tomorrow, the day after tomorrow.
0: Oh, I love it, my stacker friend. You're still here. You want more? You know, what you really want is to hopefully return to some sort of sense of normalcy this year for the holiday season. I think that's what we all want, isn't it? We want it to be like the old days. I think that's kind of what we think about with the holiday season. At least I do. I think about the warm fuzzies of the family getting together, my brother and I getting up at like 1.30 in the morning and forcing the family by 3 a.m. to open our presents, you know, all that fantastic stuff. Maybe, Maybe not so much for my parents as it was for me and my brother, but Hey, Navy Federal Credit Union's cash rewards card can help you slay the season. You'll earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases. When you sign up for direct deposit, you can redeem points as soon as you earn them. Learn more at NavyFederal.org, NavyFederal.org, insured by NCUA. Now you can go home or stay home, but show's over.